Okay, who's that? That's me. Um, hi, I'm Colleen RJC Bratton, and I'm a visual artist who's living and working here in Seattle, Washington. Um, I primarily work with work that's interested in the, the dynamic relationship between self and space over time, so that's people and environments. And um, most of the materials that I work with are uh, found fabric, and I also do painting, and I use those materials to make objects, but also installations, and also situ situational specific works as well. Um, so yeah, next slide. Um, so, kind of to give you guys a little bit of a background, um, one of my very first experiences with art making, not necessarily like art, um, but art making, this idea of making art, was when I was five years old and um, I was sitting in a church pew just like this and my 12-year-old sister was drawing a picture of a cat. And um, this is not the picture, this is one I found on the internet by a five-year-old named Britta. Um, and I think my sister's picture was a little bit better than this because she was 12. But um, all of that to say is that I wasn't necessarily like really impressed by the way my sister was drawing the picture of the cat. It was more that I was just like completely blown away that we as people could draw things that looked like real life and that, um, yeah, we can make, make art. Um, and that's kind of like a big, big idea for a, a five-year-old to have, but that sort of sparked um, my interest in art making. And I think it really points to, um, points towards how I feel about art and also about creation. Um, yeah, so next slide. So what is, what does that experience show about my proclivity towards art and creation? First of all, that um, I have a sense of wonder. And um, so I grew up in Eastern Washington and my dad is a landscape photographer. And he's been working for over 40 years doing this. So that's all he does is take pictures of the landscape. And he's lived in eastern Washington his entire life. So he's turning 70 this year. Um, so he's very loyal to the things that he loves. And um, growing up, it was pretty interesting because he really involves all of us kids in his art practice. Um, so when he would go out and take photographs, he would pile us all in the van, all four of us, and take us to see these sort of like grand viewpoints. Um, so I've seen, you know, I mean, all of us have seen lots of sunsets, but um, my dad knows all of the best places to go in, uh, in Tri-Cities where I grew up. But he also didn't just take us to Eastern Washington. Um, he took us, you know, to to the Oregon coast, um, to the Cascades, um, even to Seattle, um, to just show us the sort of diversity within the landscape. And so I really gained this appreciation um, and this sense of wonder of just how wild our world is, the fact that there are oceans I mean, this kind of sounds like insane clown posse, but like, what's up with that? Like, there's oceans, and then there's mountains, and then there's lightning, like, electricity comes from the sky and strikes the ground. That's totally, totally crazy. Um, but then the other aspect of it is that Eastern Washington is a really subtle landscape. Um, us as Western Washingtonians, we can look at the horizon and see, like, giant Mount Rainier and the ocean, um, and it's really dramatic and grandiose, but in eastern Washington, I think our, well, at least where I grew up, we boast that we have the tallest treeless mountain named Rattlesnake, uh, <laughs> but because it's treeless, it's kind of boring, maybe, um, and it's really only a thousand feet tall, so it's really not that tall at all, but um, growing up there, you can kind of see it. That's that's actually, I think that's 
yeah, that's rattlesnake from the side, so you can't actually see the rattlesnake part of it. But um, you sort of gain this sensitivity growing up there because just like all of us, we're just trying to stay entertained. Um, so you look for the subtleties within the landscape, and you start to appreciate these either small details or the quietness of it. Um, so that sort of sensitivity has definitely influenced my work into being um, a little bit more subtle and nuanced. Um, yeah, and then from these experiences, so next slide, um, I sort of attained one of my favorite things in life. I found out one of my favorite things in life is to go and look at these big viewpoints. Um, so this is actually, <laughs> wow, I'm really young in this. I think I'm like 20 years old, um, wearing all black in a, I, I don't wear all black anymore, if you can tell. But um, my dad took me on a trip to Death Valley over spring break, and um, there was a super bloom happening, and we traveled around in uh, his friend Jesse's VW van, and uh, just sort of took pictures of all of the, the flowers and um, just like this crazy landscape again to where it was like stark sand dunes to these like totally um, canopy, these canopies of wildflowers just exploding everywhere. Um, and the reason that I like and I really appreciate those moments when I'm on um, like a high viewpoint or in a valley to where you can really see for hundreds and hundreds of miles um, is actually because I really like feeling small. Um, and most people are afraid of that feeling, but I actually really love it because on the other side of that coin, it reminds me of how big God is um, and how much power he does have. Um, over over the situation and the fact that um, he has created all of this diversity and all of these subtle nuances and even to the smallest detail um, so that I really have um, so much material to work from um, as an artist. So, yeah. So the other part of that kind of weird cat story that I told earlier, the cat drawing... Um, is is a sense of humility um, the fact that we um, uh, we can only draw a cat so much like its likeness um, it will never be the exact representation of the cat um, so um, through that sense of humility I kind of work with a little bit more of the subtleties, kind of pointing to what Justin was saying earlier, that I'm revealing a different nuance within reality, um, something that's not as apparent as just looking it in the face. Um, and I think another part of humility is that we as artists, there is definitely a temptation to use our skills, our skill set to almost boost our own egos. Um, and I guess I could s share a story of how that totally blew up in my face. Um, so in college, I don't know why I thought this was a really good idea, but I saved up my pennies and I bought um, this really humongous canvas. And, um, and then I collected bus transfers. Do you guys know what those the little tickets? And I collected those for, I think, maybe two years. And then I uh, decided I was going to make a collage of them to sort of present this, like, amazing collection that I had made. Um, and I think I spent almost 22 months. See, again, I'm, like, sort of reiterating how cool it was because I spent 22 months on this piece. Um, and then I was really excited to show it to this critique group, and there was actually 
sort of, there was established members of the arts community, this was, this happened in college, by the way, um, that were there, and I was really excited to show this piece that I'd been working on for so long, and I remember I picked up the piece to take it to the stage, and God just said to me, um, this is really going to (laughs) suck, and So all of this ego that was built up in my mind just deflated. Um, And I got to the stage and I said, and I forgot everything that I thought the piece was about and I realized that the piece was just meant to be sort of like, look at me. And um, it was crazy because I totally did get ripped apart. Um, People people said, uh, well, the... I don't understand what this piece is about. It just looks like a bunch of trash on a canvas. And um, it was a really humbling experience for me as I think I was 19 years old or something. And I think God was really sweet to me afterwards. Um, I think I I put the piece in a room in like the house I was renting and it stayed there for, for many, many months. And... Um, later on, I used the piece, and, and I'll talk about it. Um, I used that piece in a, in a performance later on, um, and I'll speak to that, more to that then. But the thing about it is, is that we need to remember as artists that ownership of everything, of all of creation, is God's because he's the one that made it. Um, you know, Genesis 1, this is another, like, crazy, crazy notion. Um, God said something, and then it was so. That's totally wild. We can't do that. I can't just be like, give me an apple, and it'll appear, but God can do that. And so that's, that's totally wild to me. Um, and also, Ecclesiastes 3.14 says, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. And I think that that word fear can be a little bit tricky. Um, but that that word fear for me sort of reiterates the, the humility thing, that God has this like over abundance of, of power and um, creativity that just totally overshadows us. Um, and that can be sort of daunting, but it sort of empowers me, Um, and and we need to remember that we really are just, like, manipulators of of this material, you know, God is the one who made the color red, Um, God, and he made the, the pigment that we mix together, well, actually, we really don't even mix that pigment together that much, we just buy it, in the tubes that's pre-mixed, and then we use that to make the paintings um, that we present to other people. Um, and I think, going back to the story of my dad, um, growing up, he would never use his photographs to um, boost his own ego, and so that was a really good example for me. Um, he always said, you know, I'm really just clicking a button and capturing what God's already made, um, which I'm, I'm super appreciative of, and it's actually kind of funny if you follow him on his Facebook page, John Clement Photography, um, (laughs) he always posts these, he, every time he posts these pictures, he always attaches a Bible verse that he thinks goes along with it. And he always says at the very end, enjoy his light. Um, it's very sweet. And uh, yeah, my dad is sort of a, uh, what's an introvert. So the fact that he is like so outspoken about his faith is really inspiring for me. Um, yeah. So, oh, so the third thing that we can or that I can learn from the cat drawing story is um, confidence. So I know this is sort of like the other side of the coin of humility. So there's just some examples of, of some of some of my work going on in the background. I'll talk more about them later. But 
The third thing being confidence, and it, I'm sort of pulling from the same things I said in humility. You know, God created everything, but that also means that he created each of us. And Justin said this before, but, you know, God created us in his image, which is also just totally wild. Um, and as Psalms, Psalm 139.14, one of my go-tos, um, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Um, yeah, and just another thing to remember that, like, God doesn't make any mistakes. He doesn't create waste. Um, so none of us are a waste. It sounds like, kind of like a joke, but yeah. Um, and then the other side of it, too, is God created each of us for a really particular purpose. You know, he's placed, a, each of us has a birthday we were all born in a very specific place, um, and there's intention behind that, and we're created in particular ways to ser- serve our communities in, um, in really unique ways. Um, and the basis of that purpose, you know, is to, as it says in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. Um, And to expand on that, um, God, like I said before, God has created us and placed us in these particular ways to express the different portions of his character to other people. Um, Each of us expresses love. You know, God is love. Uh, Each of us expresses love in a completely different way. You know, I'm not the most physical person. I'm, I'm not a big hugger. But I will definitely love you by being honest with you and being um, contrite with you. Um, and, and other people, you know, are very loyal. Chase is very loyal. And other people are great at friendship and uh, pointing out the unique aspects of each other and encouraging each other. And then other people are really good at telling jokes, me not being one of them. Just kidding. <laughs> Um, so all of those things, humility, wonder, and confidence, those are three things that are really important within my art-making practice. So how do I make work? Next slide. Um, so how do I make work? First of all, I start with an understanding of who God is to me. So I kind of said all of those said some of those things. God is a creator in my life. He's also, you know, the savior of my soul. That's another wild one that I just, I can't even go into. I just get blown away by every time. Um, Yeah, so since God is a creator, just like Justin said earlier, who's made me in his image, um, that's where my desire to create comes from. Um, I'm also inspired by his creation, um, not necessarily, I'm not, I'm not painting landscapes, but I'm inspired by the colors that I witness, um, by the shapes that I witness, um, and also just by the essence, trying to find these parts of reality that maybe aren't so obvious, um, but that I experience, um, and I believe resonate with other people. So I start with that understanding, and then I use that understanding to interpret personal experiences. Um, So struggles that I'm going through in my life or um, personal triumphs, just just anything. You know, um, for instance, uh, about a year and a half ago, I moved to New York City, and I used art making to... um, work through my acclimation to a completely new environment and very unexpectedly six months ago we moved back from New York and now I'm using art to deal with that craziness of suddenly moving back to Seattle. Um, Yeah so after I use that understanding to interpret the personal experience I question the value of those understandings and personal experiences for the lives of others so aka should I be sharing this with people Um, is it going to help with their lives or with their struggles 
or is it just something that is particular to me? Um, because I want to use my work to help others, um, to love others well, not to just brag about my life. Um, so yeah, once it goes through that strict um, value questioning, I then translate those experiences into objects or installations. And sometimes that translation is pretty literal. Um, for instance, there's some uh, bus pass pieces that, or sorry, not bus pass, whoa. <laughs> there's some subway pieces um, from New York at, that are drawn from real life, and I sort of take pieces of them and manipula manipulate them in certain aspects. But then there's um, like pieces like this that um, are drawn from real life, but they're there's a lot more room for um, interpretation within them. So this piece is part of a series called Real Time, which is a, an exploration into the, the exchange of a covenant between two people. So specifically, um, some of the struggles that I've gone through with my marriage. So this one is called um, Process the Bestowed Wounds. Um, and each of the two halves um, represents one part of the marriage, and then the seam down the middle uh, represents the covenant um, that can't, well, can't be broken. Um, and the, the parts that come from real life, um, through being married with Chase, I noticed that my, this sounds very strange, but like the the basis of my skin color is actually more of a yellow, and then the basis of his skin color is actually more of, of a red. So um, in each of the pieces, I think there's about 10 total in this series, one side of the circle is yellow and one side is red. Um, so yeah, parts of them come from real life, but then they go through this um, interpretation and translation because how do you how do you really represent the fact that within marriage you hurt each other and you, but that means that you're still together um, how do you process that hurt um, yeah so anyways so one of the way another way that I translate those experiences is actually um, sometimes those translations come to me in dreams which um, an another point of like, how do I even wrap my mind around that? Um, and those translations coming to me in dreams is really humbling because, again, I don't know where they come from. Um, and I've never thought of those images before. And I'll give I'll show you guys some examples of those later on, but, um, a lot of the times I'll just wake up and there'll be an image that's burned into my mind and the only thing that I really know about it is that I want to make it into something. Um, so it really feels like almost a gift from God um, and almost, I, it makes me think of, you know, the story of Daniel of these dreams and that Daniel's job is to just interpret them. Um, so a lot of the times I'll draw out the image and then um, interpret it over time. And I learned I learned so much from these images, way more than um, honestly I would have from some of the pieces that I just draw from from real life. Um, yeah, so after the translation comes the really fun part. Um, I get to share those makings with other people. And um, that's my favorite part is participating in a dialogue or witnessing a dialogue of how people interpret or um, process the, the work that I've made. And, you know, sometimes it's successful and sometimes it's not successful. Um, and with that information, I then take it, uh, take it, first of all, to understand maybe how other people see the world in ways that I would have never thought. Um, that's a, a, 
incredible thing about art is that it becomes way more than your intention. Um, and that's definitely through, through God, um, through God's hand and the fact that you're using materials again, that he made that are way beyond your, your control. Um, yeah. So being a Christian artist, being a Christian artist, it can be really difficult, especially um, in the sphere that I'm in, in the, in the contemporary art world that I'm in. So to maybe explain that a little bit further, um, the, the world, the sphere of art, there's many different spheres of art within, within the art world, but the sphere of art that, that I'm in is more on the contemporary section, and I'm also interested in, in a lot of theory within art, and a lot of so philosophy, and um, those people can be very, we people can be very critical. Um, and so I joke that I don't tell people I'm a Christian until I've shown them I'm a Christian, um, until I've shown, shown them that um, my intentions are to, to help them become better people and to love them well. Um, because it's definitely not cool amongst my friends to be, uh, amongst my friends in the art world to be a Christian. Um, and I look to, you know, my dad as an example to, to, to try and live, uh, unabashedly and to, uh, be proud of, proud of who I am, but also to have confidence because, I need to remember that God's opinion is the most important. And why is that? Because God has given me everything that I have and that I owe everything to him. And really at the end of my life, it's not the art circle that's going to decide what happens to me. It's God. Um, So yeah, he determines where I spend eternity. And then the other part of it is that I have to remember that my intentions are good. Again, I my intention is to love other people with my work and to share my experiences of God and his creations uh, with them. And lastly, people, at least the people that I've come across, they really do appreciate and admire humility mixed with honesty. So if you come with that, come to them, with uh, an open heart, um, I've really, I've really had really amazing experiences and really good conversations. Um, I think I was definitely a little bit hurt by my experience at Seattle University um, because, and this sounds that sounds really strange because it is a Jesuit school, but it is definitely. It definitely my experience was a very secular experience and especially being in I was in the philosophy department as well as the arts department and so the philosophy department was a little bit more brutal when it would when it came to talking about faith within um, the conversation mm-hmm. so another point that I wanted to make is that um, art doesn't necessarily need to be explicit uh, explicitly Christian to speak about God. So um, one of the most uh, monumental works of art that I've experienced in my life is this piece by Barnett Newman. It's uh, called Ver Herocius Subliminus. It was made in 1950 and 1951. And the piece is actually about eight feet tall and 18 feet wide. And Barnett Newman uh, was famous for these paintings, which he called his zip paintings. So each of those lines that you see is called a zip. And one of his most famous bodies of work is actually these zips. um, And they are representations of the Stations of the Cross um, and the suffering that Jesus went through within his life. And Barnett Newman wasn't, uh, as far to my research, I couldn't find him explicitly saying, I'm a Christian, um, but he was really interested in exploring spiritual 
venues or spiritual ideas within his work. Um, and what I really appreciate about this, this piece is it's at the MoMA, um, is that you walk up to it and you're sort of overwhelmed, you're enveloped by this color and it overtakes you in a physical sense. Um, you can't necessarily um, wrap your mind around why that's happening, yet this, this scale, and the, I wish this projection was like, showed how rich of a red it is. I guess it's like as rich of a red as everything that's surrounding us right now, the pews and in my shirt. Um, but um, yeah, this work just gives a lot of room for uh, the great character of God to be able to speak through. It's not super direct and explicit about um, what Jesus looks like or what people look like. They're just basically represented with a line, a vertical line. Um, and what that says about my work is that I choose to focus on particular aspects of God's character and workings in my life because God is so vast. Like, there's no way I could ever fully express who he is in, a, in a, an infinite number of lifetimes. Um, so, yeah, like I said before, I focus on um, peace, uh, I, I focus on ideas about self, about my experiences within the environments, whether that's architectural environments or social environments and, and how I function within those or how other people function within those. So some other examples of works that have inspired me throughout history, there's uh, Mark Roth Rothko's Chapel, another artist who could never find if he was explicitly Christian, but um, he did have a, a Jewish heritage and he actually never saw this chapel come to fruition, but he planned it out. Um, and each of these canvases are very large, again, just like Barnett Newman's. Um, and this chapel, which uh, is open to the public and open to all types of faith, um, is just is on my bucket list for sure. Um, but if you've ever encountered one of his works, again, they focus on abstraction and on these fields of color and the power of color to uh, invoke feelings and invoke experiences. Uh, another artist who uh, focused on spiritual uh, spiritualism within his work was Vasily Kandinsky. Um, and I would encourage all of you to read some of his writings on the spiritual in art. Um, he's very interested in color, again. And you will see in my work, I'm also very interested in using color as a means of expressing um, expressing emotions and feelings. And then lastly, but not least, um, Agnes Martin. So her work is also very minimal in its representation. Um, this work is entitled Happiness. Um, and again, it's one of those pieces that you have to experience in real life. The projection just doesn't do it any good. Um, so this piece was made in 1999, and um, all of her works from a certain period on were 60 by 60 inches. She said it was just the sweet spot. It was the perfect size of painting to make. Um, and she... Is an was an incredible woman and um, was attempting to use her work to explore ideas of innocence, to explore ideas of love and hope, um, which are all huge things that we can never fully express within art. So yeah, finally, my work. Hee <laughs> hee. Um, so this piece, this piece, it's called Release, and um, it was my, my honor show at Seattle University. Um, this work was a 72-hour durational performance piece, um, which if you don't know what a durational performance piece 
is it means that I was sitting in this space performing for 72 hours straight. Um, so yeah, pretty extreme. <laughs> um, it's really funny because that's when Chase and I were just dating. So <laughs> he was like, who's this girl? What is she doing? Um, but within the space, so you can see, this is a, a shot from a webcam because the whole thing was live projected uh, or live broadcast um, through a web webcam. Um, but you can see me on the left and I'm wearing this robe. So the, the whole body of work was a, an exploration into me letting go of previous idols that I had um, worshipped throughout, uh, throughout my lifetime. And each of those idols had a representation within the space. So the bus pass piece that I was telling you about earlier, um, part of the performance, um, I sledgehammered it to bits. <laughs> And um, that was sort of my representation of the destruction of my own ego. Um, and then um, there was a love letter from a previous boyfriend, sorry Chase, um, which is the, the red item in the back. And um, it was a representation of my, my uh, desire to want to try and save other people. Um, and then the very shiny light um, in the back, you'll see it in, in a different picture. Maybe let's move on to the next picture of it. Um, so the shiny light is actually a shattered mirror on the ground and the way it's reflecting um, creates this V for vanity um, on the back wall. And then um, another piece was just, um, was a representation of my fear and letting fear um, overtake me um, and just sort of paralyze me and everything. So as part of this performance, um, I was wearing this robe and this white robe and it was embroidered with all of these Bible verses um, that were um, reiterations of what my identity was and who I should be worshiping. Um, and through the through the performance, I was actually physically connected to each of the representations via a string. Um, and I, would, I was meditating and journaling and um, reading and praying um, in order to symbolically let go of the things that were holding me back and also to let go of my um, idolizations of these things and to release them to what they actually were, um, what God's intentions were for those things in my life. Um, and as I felt like I sort of released them, I took a pair of scissors and would cut the string. And as I cut more strings, I gained more freedom of movement. So for the first, I don't, I don't remember how many, how many hours, but before I cut the first string, I was literally... Um, uh, hindered to just sitting uh, and then towards the end as I cut the last string then I was able to to move around and don't worry I, I went to the bathroom <laughs> I could take the robe off and go to the bathroom but um, people were invited to come visit me during this time and I had some of the the most amazing uh, conversations of my life during that during those times um, and then the reception was a celebration of me totally being free of, of those things. And the, the journal that I kept during that time is um, one of my most prized objects. So maybe go on to the next one. It's a little better image. And then after, after the performance, the, the space was open and I hung, um, hung the robe as sort of like a symbolically like I am weightless and free. Um, and there's my little bed that I slept on um, at the time. So yeah, this piece was a really good practice of the testimony of my struggles um, and a reflection that can reveal God's sovereignty in my life. Um, so yeah, then the next work. Uh, this piece is actually one of those things I was talking about that came to me in a dream. Um, it was a site-specific installation for a gallery called Two Shelves, which takes place in the um, 
apartment of close friends, Joe and Kelly. And um, I actually had a completely different piece planned for this and was working on it. And one night I had a vision, a dream, and um, this image popped into my mind. And all I knew was that this was what I was going to make. Um, so yeah, this piece is a, a representation of the relationship that Joe and Kelly had with their apartment. Um, at the time of this expedition, they had, um, they had lived in their apartment for about a year, and it had been really awesome to see how their apartment had just changed from just a space to becoming a home where they welcomed people in, and then it became a gallery where um, friends could come together and uh, talk about artwork and share life experiences with each other. Um, and you can kind of tell the, the work is like an abstracted representation of that by this like white, white starkness. Um, and then over time, um, the space and the piece tends to warm up and um, each piece of fabric is a, has a little more depth than the next. Um, and the, the work is about five feet by three feet by six inches, just so, just so you know. Um, and this piece uh, is a good example of how abstraction can leave, for, leave room for the mystery of God, um, just like I was talking before with all of the, the art history examples. So then the next work... Go back one. It's okay. Um, you saw it in the, the first picture with me. Um, this is a work for the Nepo 5K Don't Run, which was a cool, cool thing that Sarah helped organize. <laughs> and uh, it was this really incredible art event that had a, a lot of outdoor um, site-specific installations uh, that the community could participate in. Uh, yeah, it was just like a really awesome experience. And so I created this piece, which is about 10 feet uh, by 7 feet deep by 4 and a half feet tall. And I invited participants to uh, take a break from the walk and lie underneath the, the canopy. Uh, so the title of the piece is called The Roof Over Our Heads. And as people looked through the transparent fabric, um, all of the colors uh, melded together to form this very like lovely warm peach tone and so it was um, uh, just a, just a representation of security uh, of uh, sanctuary um, and explore exploration into those things um, but the funny thing about this work is that that day it was very rainy and very stormy and I am not an architect so it continued uh, it was continuously falling over so um, this piece was like a, a definitely another humbling experience, but it was also very poetic because in the beginning I was like really uh, sad and like, oh my gosh, what do I do? And I kept um, setting up the piece again and it would kept, kept falling over. And so for I think like 45 minutes, I just had to stand there and hold the piece up. <laughs> with my with my own body and um, invite and it was actually a really cool opportunity to invite more people to interact with the piece and um, it, it activated me as like the um, the provide like more of a the provider of this space and um, through it I sort of learned that um, art can be a form of service and also <laughs> it can be really unpredictable um, and sometimes um, towards the end of the walk, Chase was like, hey, we need to we need to go look at the rest of the art. So I just had to let it be what it was and let it fall over. Um, yeah, so the, then the this body of work that I've been working on for the last two years, so next slide, is entitled Settling In. Um, and a lot of the imagery is inspired by the New York subway. And um, a lot of this work was created while I was in New York, and I continue to make that work, which is weird because I don't live there anymore. But it was an exploration into my acclimation to the city and um, 
also uh, an exploration into seeing how people interact in these public spaces with each other. Um, you'll notice there's no people in this piece, but um, I choose to represent sort of the human aspect of um, my explorations with fabric and with tangible objects, so with this more organic material. So people are represented with organic material, and then the architectural spaces are more represented with um, like these hard geometric lines and also painting on panel. Um, and I also use a lot of like kind of symbolism to point toward more towards the narrative. So like the, the title of the piece is called I Was Somewhere Else, But Now I'm Here, and it's the first work that I made after I moved back to Seattle. Um, and so the, the part that's facing you, the, that's the now, that's where you're at now. And it's this tangible, um, fabric with leather. And when you see it, there's, there's, um, velvet and you just kind of want to touch it and you're allured by it. And it seems like very comfortable. Um, and then this, this perspective that's moving backwards is supposed to be the past and, it is this like hard surface of painting and it's now it's become a representation. It's sort of become um, a dream that has already happened. Um, yeah, so then the next piece in this series that I brought is this piece called um, Fairness and it's actually a play on words. It's spelled F-A-R-E-N-E-S-S and again, it's taking um, aesthetic cues from the subway system, but it's also uh, inserting these organic forms that have um, skin tones within them. And this piece is um, actually a sort of an exploration into this weird social um, injustice that happens in New York City um, with fair policing. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it, but um, a lot of people get um, arrested for not paying, it's like the 275 fare um, to ride the subway system if they get caught hopping or people get caught sliding for them or selling their fares, um, they get arrested. And it's the statistic is like 91% of those people that get arrested are people of color. Um, so it's, it's a really, uh, living in New York City, you're much more aware of the disparities um, because of the subway system, because people are mixed um, all of the time. And uh, I'm actually really excited to see what happens in the next 20 or so years in Seattle with um, the light rail expanding, because I'm hoping that it will integrate our communities a lot more, um, because we are really segregated from each other um, by neighborhood. But yeah, so these forms are sort of like awkwardly twisting and like battling with each other almost. They're just not battling with each other, but more battling to like break through this gate and to, to get through. Um, so yeah, this piece is just, and the other one are examples of how narrative within work can be a conduit for empathy. Whether you're, you know, empathizing with my own narrative of um, acclimating to New York, but then um, acclimating back to Seattle, or you're empathizing with um, these horrible social situations that are happening. Um, yeah, it's a really powerful tool. So the very last piece that I was gonna share with you guys is another one of those dream pieces. So, um, <laughs> whoa. Um, so yeah, this piece is pretty heavy. Um, so on the night of November 8th, 2016, something happened. Um, our presidential election happened. And I, for one, was really sad. Um, and that night I was tossing and turning and I kept having these nightmares and I wasn't getting much sleep and in the middle of the night I woke up and I had this image, like I told you guys before, sort of burned into my brain and um, I didn't really know what it meant and I said, oh, whatever, I'm just going to try and go back to sleep. And, you know, I kept waking up and checking the news to see 
maybe maybe if reality was actually the nightmare but um but yeah I woke up in the morning and the image was still in my mind and so I use this sort of like gift of this image to interpret interpret and to move through the trauma of like what um what our world was going through and um, decided to make it manifest um, with this work which is about five feet by five feet and it's um, made with velvet and satin and cotton and it's an embroidered quilt I think it has 48 different um, different stripes on it and then in the center you can't really tell is this sort of like gaudy gold a candle sconce and then a candle that um, the title of the piece is sitting with reality and then in quote or in a what are these called parentheses and then in parentheses it says um, I feel safer when it's not lit um, so yeah this is just one of those pieces that I really don't know how to talk about because it's not my image um, it's just I'm made it manifest um yeah and it's just a good example of how art can be a way to work through through trauma so um thank you guys so much for listening to me and um if you have any questions i'm really good (laughs) one-on-one um and then i also brought um these four books um as a gift a long time ago Um, which I really cherish, and each of the four books um, goes through the art history of the representation of different parts of Jesus's life, so the Annunciation, the Descent, the Crucifixion, and the Last Supper, so um, feel free to look through them. It's a really great resource, and then the other cool thing I mentioned to Justin was um, that the first, like, 95% of each of the books is all representational work, and then the very last bit is totally different. And that makes me really excited because, because there's been hundreds of years of this representational work where it's much more literal. Um, it seems like maybe Christian art has like donned onto this new, new section um, where there's like lots of room to explore. Um, yeah, so thanks, guys. <laughs>